Hello, welcome and namaste to the World is Ending podcast. Mental health has been something that has been a topic of conversation for a very, very long time. And let me emphasize it a little bit for you. People commit suicides, man, for like stupid shit, dude. I don't know, a lot of, lot of shit that goes inside people's head doesn't make any fucking sense. But you know, like all of this pod, uh, this podcast season for me and this quarantine season for you people. has been immensely stressful for a lot of us and uh, has driven us to insanity at one point so you know it's extremely important and crucial to take care of mental health so i cannot uh make sure that we all receive medical advice but i can definitely make sure that all of us get some kind of uh, attention that we all deserve uh, we, we all could get some opinions from mental health professionals so I tried getting some mental health professionals on this podcast and I'm extremely proud of the team at Alternative Story that they came up to this podcast. I want to make it very clear that I do not endorse uh any political opinion or a non-political opinion or medical opinion that they share on this podcast and I really would uh, appreciate if you guys could go on to their website and get some personalized suggestions for yourselves. Because man really uh, this is a very generic advice for all of us and while this could sound true this could be very different for each one of you so man really really just take care of that thing uh but that being said let's jump let's jump right into the interview and see what these people have to say about our mental health during these tough and tiring times as i call it what's well, good I'm, i'm having a hard time distinguishing between you guys voices <laughs> do we sound quite similar you sound like sisters really वर्ल्ड इज एंडिंग पॉडकास्ट नॉट द बेस्ट नेम फॉर मेंटल हेल्थ प्रोफेशनल बट <laughs> the the first thing i told rashi is that the title is right up my alley perfect are you guys like pessimist because it does feel that way <laughs> we are not pessimist we are not a pessimist at all hmm. uh, but yeah. uh, we are extremely existentialists yes i thought yes. i had like fellow pessimists on board and we were going to have some pessimistic discussion about mental health <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would I wouldn't say that I'm a pessimist either, but I do have my moments of nihilism. So, yeah. uh, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? I'll go oh, first. <laughs> I was gonna say Rashi, why didn't you go for it? All right. I know. Mm, all right. I mean, this is always the hard part because you don't know what parts of yourself to talk about and what not to talk about. Mm. Uh, I would say that uh, I am. 26 years old and i'm a mental health professional i've been with the alternative story from its conception and um i do both individual and group therapy both face to face and online and i have a masters in uh, clinical psychology from the tata institute of social sciences wow i'm originally from kerala but i've kind of lived all over the place yeah wow How about you, soul sister? So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my name is Rashi. I'm one of the directors at All Story, and uh, I have a master's in criminology, and I've 
I have a bachelor's in psychology. I am one of those people in all study who don't do therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. I I do the strategy and communications part of it, but also a lot of what I say and what I do comes from the fact that I have depression and anxiety. So um, it comes from a user survivor perspective. And actually a lot of people in the alternative story who are therapists and who work otherwise at the alternative story are user survivors. So we don't just say things from the perspective of quote unquote experts, Mm -hmm. but we are also saying them as people who are survivors themselves. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's basically it, I guess. Ala and Rashi, you guys sound like passionate, bubbly teenagers. Definitely, you don't sound 26 <laughs> to uh, the people who don't know. So, like, uh, in this conversation, we'll talk about this quarantine and how it has affected all of us uh, mentally yeah. and uh, how to cope up with uh, the several uh, consequences that it brings and the several circumstances that we are all dealing with. So just yeah. a fun and friendly conversation about all of it. And then we'll take tangents about a few things here and there. So uh, make your sure. choices who wants to uh, answer. I'm just assuming Rashi is like the sort of introverted person. And Ala is like a little less introverted. Uh, but I uh, would love if both of you take part in the conversation. We will. It's, 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 it's very interesting because I think this is the first time ever that I've been called an extrovert or a less introverted person. It's, I'm just intrigued. Wow, this is just a relative and, comparison yeah. that could be 100% wrong. And I, yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I, don't be, I don't believe in the concept of introverts and extroverts. So um, I, I don't think that either one fits me. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to kind of have have that label attached because I, mm-hmm. I I I think all of us choose to be one or the other based on the situation. I feel attacked and right now. <laughs> no, it's not an attack. It, it's basically so I I feel like a lot of these things, right? Like these personality quizzes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like they're the same as astrology. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's a random clubbing of people mm-hmm. who uh, it might work for a particular situation. Like mm-hmm. I'm, it might work for me to know whether I'm extroverted or introverted while I'm doing public speaking mm-hmm. or am I introverted or extroverted while doing something. So in a particular situation, it might help, mm-hmm. but otherwise I feel like it's the same as astrology and it's quite ironic that I'm named after mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I feel like these random clubbings don't work. And this is true for whether it's extroversion or introversion or what is that other one that which is most popular with Ambivert? these HR people? No, HR. If no, you, no, that MBTI. Ambivert. Ambivert. Like if you pick it up from a Tinder bio, that, that says ambivert. Oh, yeah. So even, even these things, right? Like it, it, they're only useful to put either on your Tinder bio or your LinkedIn bio if, if you're going to put those uh, personality types. Yeah, yeah. You know, MBTI those, uh, ah, that, personality exactly. type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel like they don't hold true in today's situation mm-hmm. and uh, we all are extremely fluid and we change. I agree. I agree. I know like if you, yeah. if you reconduct a lot of psychological experiments once again, they might not hold any ground. That, that's what I yeah, believe. So, 
yeah so a lot of this like this introvert introvert uh, extrovert introvert keeps changing for me depending on my mood mm-hmm. so and, and depending on the company I, that you're with depending on the company that i'm with for me a lot also depends on what kind of medication i'm on yeah so yeah, yeah so a lot of things change and yeah people just like to club people it's easier for people to understand people if you're club so i yeah. i could easily say hey i'm a virgo so do you know expect this kind of behavior from me mm. uh so it just it, it's just the same yeah ladies uh, do you no guys attacks. think do you guys think like uh, like for people i i would classify myself like a 100% 24x7 x365 extrovert and people like mm-hmm. me are getting addicted to their phones while this uh, quarantine is uh, looming over us the clouds of quarantine are shadowing mm-hmm. us what do you what what's your uh, situation on this i uh, I, I think it, i think it's just a coping mechanism like what else are you going to yeah. do mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i mean um, if you also i mean uh, uh, the word addiction has a lot of uh, kind of baggage with it right when we say uh, addiction it means that there are some implications for the word it means mm-hmm. that you're using it as a as a as a crutch to go through something that you're going through it is providing some comfort some release for you and behavioral addictions if you talk about it in those clinical terms it is what that means that you mm-hmm. are um using whatever that behavior might be be it mm-hmm. uh, video games be it being on social media whatever that might be it is a kind of release for you it is a kind of coping for you mm-hmm. and i think um, right now with the quarantine and i wouldn't say that that it's any different for from uh, for introverts or extroverts um social media is a great way to connect with people right now mm-hmm. and and to still feel like you know Uh, that we are all in this together and there are people like me on the other side of the screen who are going through similar experiences and that can be something that makes me feel less lonely and more mm-hmm. connected mm-hmm. uh so i mean i would be a little uh, wary of using the term addiction given the circumstances that we are in right now and if it's helping you cope you know beautiful go for it how about so music think, what yeah. yeah yeah sure no i i yeah so music again but just to come to the word addiction itself mm-hmm. so nimhans which is india's uh, premier institute on mental health mm-hmm. uh, has something on technology as addiction and uh, i had the chance to meet with the person who runs the clinic and he himself who runs the technology at the addiction center speaks about how we loosely use the word addiction when it comes to technology mm-hmm. when we don't realize what it has replaced so i could you be addicted to your alarm clock no of course not because what are you going to do with it right mm-hmm. or could you be addicted to meeting your friends no mm-hmm. but your telephone your phone not your telephone but your mobile phone is doing those work for you of the of the alarm clock of meeting different friends of socializing with newer people of being connected to work etc etc so mm-hmm. you're not spending it doing one thing so you're doing multiple things on your phone right mm-hmm. what could be problematic or what could be a sign of overuse mm-hmm. is the fact that you feel uneasy when your phone is not in your hand then mm-hmm. that could mean that not addiction but it's what we call as overuse or problematic usage that you can seek help for but it's not addiction yeah or dependence it's dependence mm-hmm. yeah yeah so wow. in in very clinical terms we do differentiate between 
even for alcohol, even for nicotine, we do call it nicotine dependence and then comes addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are, there are different categories that you might fall into with technology. It, like a lot of psychiatrists even today say that, you know, when they were growing up, their parents mm-hmm. were afraid that they would get addicted to TV. Mm-hmm. But now we don't see that as an issue. We don't say yeah. that the older generation was addicted to TV. Mm-hmm. It's just that the technology has grown so fast that it has replaced so much of our work with so much other things mm-hmm. that we think that we are getting addicted to one device while it's doing multiple things for us. Yeah. And that's an interesting point that Rashi brought up also is that, you know, just the amount of time spent on technology cannot be a yardstick, cannot be a criteria, a, a standalone criteria for describing something as addiction. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very true. So do you think, uh, Rashi and Allah, do you think dependence is good? So again, Ankit, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So we're going to do this a lot. So dependence is when you are using, like Ahala was saying, to cope with something. Mm -hmm. When your resources available to you are not enough Mm -hmm. to deal with something that's difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. What is it that is difficult? If I'm going to attack your coping mechanism, what I am doing is addressing the very superficial thing that I can see. This mm-hmm. superficial thing could be smoking, could be drinking, could be gambling, could be any of those things. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always need to be technology. Mm-hmm. It can also be something positive like dancing. It can be music. It can be reading. But if you are doing too much of it without co- to cope with something and I'm not addressing the root of what you're trying to cope with, Mm-hmm. then I'm not addressing the issue in itself. Like this quarantine, mm-hmm. it's a really, really difficult place to be in. A lot of us, whether you're extroverted or not, whether you find the company of others good or not, a lot of us are stuck at home mm-hmm. doing the same thing over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. that is difficult. Plus, a lot of us have the anxiety of our parents' health, of our children's health, of... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing so much of work, having deadlines to fill, finish at work, all mm. of that is can get to you. If you're mm. using something to cope with it, it's not a bad thing. Mm. In normal circumstances also, I do not take away your coping mechanisms without dealing with the issue. So people who smoke, people who drink, who come to us, mm. uh, we only ask them, we also, Ala, if you could talk a little bit about uh, harm reduction versus mm-hmm. cold turkey. So, yeah. uh, so we, we do not ask people to quit smoking all at once. Like if you want to come to All Story, you have to quit smoking. Uh, we do mm-hmm. not do that because we're going to help you look at, the, look at the roots of your problem. We're going to look at what is making you want to cope with. So quarantine, just we're just all stuck in this. I don't know what the language if I can use, but it's just a fucked up place to be in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I mean, I could not have put it better myself than what Rashi did right now. The the difference between kind of use, abuse, uh, Mm -hmm. dependence, addiction, it's, Mm -hmm. 
when it comes to addiction it's it's it can be pretty black or white but the thing with use abuse and dependence is that it's very difficult for us to say point up point at it and say that oh that's good or that's bad mm-hmm. and what becomes the criteria for calling something as an addiction is that your the rest of your life kind of falls apart if this one thing is not there mm-hmm. that's when you know that okay this is a problem right this is an issue mm-hmm. if you take away my uh, my and and again it becomes complex with technology because so much of our life is dependent on technology right now in terms of booking a cab or ordering food or talking to friends and um, accessing my music accessing my books all of that is done through technology so right now it's like if you take the technology away from people it is going to kind of handicap people in 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 a lot of ways i, I don't know if that's a good enough uh, mm-hmm. uh you know a term to use right now but it is going to impair people's abilities in a lot of ways so mm. when we talk about um, dependence or addiction becoming a problem what happens is that everything else in your life kind of falls apart because of that one issue like for instance i am unable to go to work or i'm my my relationships are kind of um getting impacted or my relationships are getting destroyed because of this addictive uh, issue that i have or my self care has completely gone out of the window because mm-hmm. i'm so addicted to technology i'm not bathing i'm not showering i'm not talking to my friends my relationships are falling apart i'm not showing up at work that is when it becomes a problem but if you're able to uh, engage in all of this use this as a coping mechanism which is helping you have a functional life then it's not a problem hmm that's very fantastic also, yeah rashi I also want to take it like a step further and say that it also depends on the situation. For example, if I am stepping out, say with Ala, see somebody I trust a lot, mm-hmm. and I forget my phone at home, and I'll be like, okay, it's okay. I've forgotten my phone at home. Uh, my husband knows that I'm with Ala, so if there's an emergency, he'll call me on Ala's phone. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going out alone, I'll be like, no, I cannot go out alone because. if i get lost i need google maps if i get whatever you know i need to hail a ola from here i need this from here so a lot of reward functions through technology mm-hmm. so it's you know if you look at maslow's hierarchy mm-hmm. and you look at safety it's a core need of our life right so if my mm-hmm. safety depends on my phone then i cannot say that it's addiction because my safety is a basic human need right Mm-hmm. so even i'm reacting in a very very it reacting from my animalistic behavior mm-hmm. that my safety depends on the phone and hence i need my phone to feel safe there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong yet there's a lot of also to bring in a little bit about capitalism etc so you know we are expected to be on call so if i'm not on call i could lose my job and mm-hmm. that security is also important to me so mm-hmm. it's not that i'm addicted to my phone i'm addicted mm. to my security and safety which is I, i you know it sounds really ridiculous to say that mm. because everyone expects to be safe and secure you right. can't be addicted to something that's basic right which reminds me of this book by dr gavin becker which says the gift of fear which says yeah. that people take the most uh, i mean the most uh simplest simplest way yeah thank you for putting the words in my mouth so the most simplest way that they can to stay safe in an unknown yes. environment that they encounter that's very true absolutely 
which also reminds We're me of very hedonistic <laughs> which reminds me of another book i read by uh, dr eric burn uh, which is games people play where he talks about this personality called the hired housewife uh, which we all have become you know like people who are working from homes we have a lot of work to do like right now i just got done with all my meetings at 6 I joined this mm-hmm. meeting then I'll be releasing today's episode then I have my own startup that I'll be working on and a couple of other things so there's a we have all become hired housewives at this point so <laughs> uh uh I would like to know your opinions on how to on, on a very brief note like how to cope up with the amount of pressure and stress that the circumstances are bringing to us mm-hmm. Allah uh first of all i mean i i've not read the book but that term in itself sounds quite uh, sexist i have to say um but uh, i i i would like to bring it back to the point that rashi mentioned earlier is is the is the fact that how capitalism kind of trains us and rewards us to keep kind of going in that hamster wheel you know that if you are not constantly busy or constantly working or exhausted from working too much then you are not doing something right so mm. we ha- we are living in a system that rewards being exhausted and rewards being busy and kind of holds a busy lifestyle as something to aspire to that you know people are so ad- uh, you know uh, people admire people who are busy and people who are busy and are held in high esteem rather than people who kind of slow down and take breaks and take care of themselves mm-hmm. so in such a situation it becomes very difficult for us to kind of slow down and say that hey you know what i am really exhausted so i am going to take a break or to say that uh, this project looks very interesting but i am going to say no to this project because i just don't have the bandwidth to do that because we feel so guilty in kind of drawing those boundaries to take care of ourselves we feel like if i am not driving myself up the wall with with work then i'm not doing something right mm. right so those are the conversations that as mental health professionals as the alternative story we are also trying to change is to say that rest is a form of resistance in a society that forces you to be busy and exhausted all the time mm. so rest becomes not something that's lazy or not something that's undesirable but resting and taking care of yourself is an act of resistance against the system hmm that's so, true so again again not all of us have the privilege of rest mm-hmm. um you know not all of us have the space to rest the resources to rest uh, which is again a, because of a system that has been created by large inequalities uh but if you do have the privilege to rest to rest as much as possible so that you're not buying into that system that says that you are worthy only if you're productive mm-hmm. that's true rashi any add ons on this no i think that was perfect i mean i feel that's exactly what the all story also stands for is mm. is to ask people to rest and and one of the things i mean i need to kind of say it at this point is that uh, one reason that we didn't struggle going online or working from home mm-hmm. is because we always had a culture of letting that be on the table at all times that if you were not feeling well if you were just just not feeling well mentally if you wanted to take the day off you wanted to work from home didn't feel like commuting didn't feel like seeing somebody else's face 
all of mm. those things were absolutely fine mm. uh, so what we are struggling with is not seeing each other for such a long time but mm. apart and being in the same physical space but apart mm. and, and i think a lot of the other team members are struggling with not seeing our dog mm. but yeah. apart from that i think we're doing pretty well for an organization that is so young i think yeah. we're doing fantastically well for an organization yeah. that's such a baby so uh, well let's I mean, let's yeah tell me tell me i i just wanted to add that you know for people who might be listening uh, to kind of uh, to go back to the question that you asked you know what do you do if you're if you're that busy to kind of add some tips or techniques uh, for mm. people who might be listening is that um, you don't have to be busy all the time if you have the option of dropping some of the things from your to do list go ahead and do that because you are not you know that that tweet that we see often these days that you're which makes a lot of sense to me is also that you are not working uh working from home during a pandemic you're dealing with a pandemic and in the midst of a pandemic you're trying to work from home so that that kind of shifts your priorities right now that it's mm-hmm. okay if you're not being able to be as productive as you used to before the lockdown um maybe things might have not changed as much for you if you're a freelancer who have, who has been working from home since before the lockdown and if you feel like hey but nothing much has changed in my life why why am i finding it difficult to be productive right now mm-hmm. that's because you're going through a pandemic we don't have a template of how to deal with this this is all new for us nothing like this has ever happened in our lifetimes so mm-hmm. we are still figuring out how to lead uh quote and quote normal lives amidst a really abnormal situation so in that situation if you're struggling to be productive that just means that you are human it does not mean that you're failing or that you're lazy or that you know something is wrong with you it just means that we, as human beings we are all struggling and to take it a little easy right now with yourself and it's okay to say no to things if you have the privilege of saying no to things uh it's okay to draw those boundaries and say that maybe today i won't be able to put in eight hours of work maybe i'm only able yeah. to do four hours of work and that's okay mm-hmm. that's that's very true your empathy is inspiring for both of you, you know I, i mean the only thing that i take away is the amount of empathy you guys carry it's like it's like something that i really admire and i really appreciate i think i think this is this is at least if someone is learning something from this episode this should be to carry this much empathy for anyone who is doing and appreciate people for whatever little efforts they make uh oh, that is absolutely important uh thank you so much yes so you guys uh, must be meeting you know um or have had in your lifetime met men and women of different kinds and please bear with me we are, we are trying to drive home a point here so there's this is one point i was talking to with a female friend who said that uh, men these days are so much dependent on their uh, moms they are so much tied up to the idea that they have to take uh, they have to have their moms participate in all of their decisions uh that they're not able to form healthy relationships uh so uh, i would like i would like from a counselor's perspective or from someone who's a professional in this field's pers- so from your perspective what is this uh, emotional enmeshment uh, i think that's a technical word if i'm not wrong yeah uh, what is the yeah. reason of this emotional enmeshment uh, that is mm-hmm. very predominant among indian men yeah 
I would say it's not just predominant among Indian men, but like predominant about uh, among most men. Um, this yeah. emotional enmeshment, and you know, yeah, we do talk to both men, women, and everybody in between uh, who are our clients and who are outside the realm of just just clients. And yeah. um, so, there's a variety of reasons that this happens, right? Most men um, or people who identify as men. will tell you that um they are unable to talk about emotional things with their other male friends or people other uh, people who identify as men in their life and you'll see that they have uh, male friends with whom they have a certain kind of friendship and female friends with whom they'll have a very different kind of friendship so what you'll notice ankit is that uh the the females in their life are most usually doing this thing that we call as emotional labor for them so emotional labor as we understand is kind of being that supportive emotionally understanding person in a man's life where, where those are the only spaces in their life where these men can talk about their feelings so this is a product of patriarchy where um you know men are only allowed to show feelings in certain spaces in their lives so a and lot of the times yeah and be vulnerable in certain spaces in their times and and a lot of the times uh growing up for men these spaces are their mothers mm-hmm. they might have very fraught relationship with their fathers a very matter of fact relationship with their fathers where neither son nor father are emotionally expressive in that relationship but with their mothers they feel much more comfortable being emotionally expressive talking about feel feelings that are difficult to talk about like shame hurt frustration um you know guilt. love intimacy guilt all of those things so then what happens is that the bond that 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 gets formed between the mother and the son um becomes quite strong and and that's 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 a normal relationship where there is a strong emotional connection between the parent and the child when does it lead to enmeshment enmeshment happens when boundaries are absent so what are boundaries boundaries are basically the the lines that you draw in relationships where i can differentiate my needs my emotions from your needs and your emotions so in an enmeshed relationship what happens is that the mother's needs the mother's emotions become enmeshed with the child's needs the child's emotions and the child's life goals and dreams and so on so then kind of differentiating between what is my mother's desire or what is my parents desire what is my parents life goals what is what are my parents emotions versus mm-hmm. what are mine that line becomes blurred mm-hmm. so then that enmeshment happens it is less so with women because women are uh, as a as much as it happens with men women, women are not encouraged to shut down their emotions it's kind of more normalized for women there's definitely stigma with women expressing emotion as well but less so than it, than there is with with men so for mm. women they have to um, kind of do that emotional labor not just for themselves but also for the men in their lives mm. so women become more independent emotionally because they can express their emotion to their uh, uh, friends to their family members never possible but with Thoughts, men yeah. because because that is more and more absent the it it can lead to a kind of enmeshment i'm not saying that it's a linear connection but it can be one of the possible also i want to 
take this a little further and say that when they, then there, there is a romantic partner involved especially for the men mm-hmm. when where there is supposed to be intimacy and there is supposed to be a lot of emotional uh, emotional vulnerability when the emo- when the romantic partner does not fulfill all the roles that the mother did which is that of molly coddling of you know forgiving uh, sacrificing etc yeah. etc et mm-hmm. it becomes then difficult to trust this romantic partner because my mother did this there yeah. was emotional vulnerability in the relationship but there was also a lot of sacrifice etc etc so why is my romantic partner who has now become a substitute for my mother's role not mm-hmm. doing that so i'm not saying again that this is extremely this leads to this then like ala was saying that it's a linear connection this is one of the possibilities where you start examining your relationships and wondering why this is happening and mm-hmm. in most south asian countries and cultures there is this syndrome that i call as the raja beta syndrome but a lot of people <laughs> also call it that <laughs> men are expected to be boys and sons for the rest of their lives like they never grow up to become their own person uh mm-hmm. or at least the expectation that it takes a lo- like the expectation is that you remain boys right and again it is a very difficult thing to be like uh the expectation like i don't know if you saw the vogue ad where madhuri dikshit says ladke rote nahi hain rulate hain like mm-hmm. the entire ad was perfect it spoke about how men are not allowed to show vulnerability and then it comes and slaps back and says that men can only be abusers mm-hmm. without looking at the fact that men can be victims of this patriarchy as well because mm-hmm. there is this young child who has said that you shouldn't cry because you're a man and mm-hmm. can you imagine the pressure i mean obviously as somebody who's grown up in this culture i bet you kind of i, I don't know how it is but mm-hmm. a lot of men have said that as early as 4 they've asked been asked to shut up and not cry mm-hmm. yeah. whereas for women we we cry we we talk about it we have a lot of spaces so if you ask me i have a friend circle where i i i, I bet my friends would be absolutely okay if i cried even mm-hmm. my work friends would be absolutely fine if i one day broke down in office i mm-hmm. don't have to be this cold hearted person all the time mm-hmm. i can be vulnerable and there comes an another issue also but it is it is very rewarding to be vulnerable as a woman right people people appreciate it it's it's seen as a sign of femininity mm-hmm. but but the moment a man does that it becomes problematic wow yeah. so this this enmeshment then comes because men are not allowed to be human beings mm-hmm. they're separate individuals mm-hmm. yeah wow Wow, guys! Just an underline. I think uh, my Zoom Premium subscription has ended, and I didn't realize it. So I'm just sending a backup meeting in case this one ends. I've sent yes. it by an email, and I've sure. sent it on the chat as well. Yes. Thank you very sure, much. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, you know, this conversation leads us to something extremely important, uh, which I would uh, you know, which I have experienced during this quarantine, because there are several people uh, who I know personally who. don't want to go back home because uh, you know they don't feel very safe at home and there's something and this i think this is something that rashi would like to talk about there's some abusive mm-hmm. relationships uh, or some abusive relationship patterns that uh, their homes have yeah. uh yeah and 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 so once again coming back to the subject how do you think 
men and women are affected by those uh, abusive relationships and how can they respectively deal with them you obviously talked about men but then how about women so so the statistics remain that one in six boys in india and one in four girls in india will experience sexual abuse inside their houses hmm. so under 18 i think the the situation doesn't change by much all of all in all of india's children are extremely vulnerable inside their houses there is a lot of sexual abuse there is also a lot of um uh, discussions and toxicity that remains inside the houses especially if you have some other form of margin marginalization like if you are queer or if you do not believe in the same politics that your parents do all of that can relate can become very hostile for you really soon so i think whether it's men or women protecting yourself is of utmost importance reaching out for formal and non formal ways of support also becomes important mm-hmm. so uh, so i helped multiple governments set up programs for violence against women and we had a lot of cases coming in where we had to go rescue people where we had to uh, you know get uh, talk to men tell them that it's a crime etc etc but what remains i think at the crux of all of it is people need to reach in so you must have heard the fact that people need to reach out to others much more often mm-hmm. so i think that that's putting too much pressure on the person who is vulnerable so i am going through a difficult time and what you're asking me to do is to reach out you're putting extra pressure on me so saying that you were at fault because you didn't reach out for help Mm-hmm. I think we need to reach in. So if you see something that's happening that's wrong, you need to be a good bystander and stop it. Mm-hmm. You can learn ways to do it. You don't have to always go and be a superhero and talk about things. You just need to be a good human being. Uh you need to be able to know what to do in a situation like this. Can you go and talk to the man and say, "Hey, we noticed. Mm-hmm. We noticed that you're hitting your wife or we noticed that you're doing you know uh, a lot of places where there are only men like ahala was saying about the boys club right where men have friendship with other men mm-hmm. uh these whatsapp groups or whatever other groups that you have the amount of sexist jokes that are passed can you talk about it and say hey you know this is sexist can you not do that uh, uh can you not put a joke that's up talking about the wife like is this something that you would say to your wife as well questions like this when you start challenging sexism and patriarchy openly is when you start so it doesn't like rape culture and you know uh, the culture of violence doesn't start from rape or from abusing your wife it starts much much earlier it starts at these sexist jokes it starts at these funny jibes that you put at women it starts mm. at what is called eve teasing but technically it's sexual harassment hmm. when we put a stop to these things there'll be a clear message out to everybody that it's not okay to do these things hmm. and that's what you and i can do once hmm. the situation goes to abuse or rape there's nothing you and i can do except report it to the police mm-hmm. true and then and then the police has to do its own job mm-hmm. true but as yeah as and the thing is also that right after the police does it what more like what is the woman going to do what are mm-hmm. the support structures we have created around 
ourselves in society where like will the society not talk about this woman who has been divorced or whose case is going on in the court mm-hmm. or who was assaulted you know most people like a friend of mine did her research she was doing her llm and she did her research in the cases of child sexual abuse and they found out that for the police to take this case seriously the victim has to be 9 years old perfectly 9 years old why because if she's younger than 9 it's believed that she must have got it wrong she's too young to understand what happened to her if mm. it's if she's over the age of 9 people start thinking about what about her marriage or oh, she must have had a she must have had something to do she must have tried to put out the guy you know things like that 9 is the perfect age when she is vulnerable enough and these are rules that society is put right otherwise there is no such rule so we have to understand that each of us has a role to play in this it's not just an isolated incident and mm-hmm. when we're talking about statistics also it becomes really important like domestic right. violence is around 33% in india mm-hmm. that is one like one in every three women mm-hmm. and that's right. a huge statistics that i am not happy with right so uh, from a criminal psychologist perspective uh, why criminologist do you, yes criminologist yeah. perspective why yes. do you think um, abusers exist <laughs> uh, i think so i think abusers exist because power differential exists in society uh if people believed that they wouldn't get away with it we wouldn't have any crimes so obviously there are people who commit crime because they have to like for example somebody who would steal a piece of bread because they are hungry uh but apart from that i i don't think people commit crimes because they are bad people people commit crimes because they think they can get away with it and uh so yeah i i don't think that there is a typical kind of mindset that is that exists or there is uh, what crime patrol calls vikrut mans mansikta <laughs> which is my favorite show by the way so i don't think there is a kind of personality or a kind of brain brain chemistry etc that makes people commit crimes more i do think there are people who take more risks than usual but those risks can be anything those risks can be driving fast smoking drinking all of those are risks so why would somebody decide to cho- do a crime it's mm-hmm. more to do with power differential in mm-hmm. society ala do you want to add something she's been quiet for a while no, i'm just listening i mean all, <laughs> all of it all of it makes perfect sense what what rashi has been uh, speaking about so far and mm-hmm. it is definitely her area of expertise mm-hmm. yeah i mean people are not you know born abusers yeah um, structures create uh abusive mentalities uh inequalities power differentials create abusive mentalities and uh, there's only so much we can address on an individual to individual basis when it comes to abuse when it comes to crime i think Absolutely. um that that work is definitely you know going to keep happening there are psychologists there are correctional uh you know facilities there are um many other different occupations that that look into it but uh, that mm-hmm. is bandaid work right that is post prevention what mm-hmm. what we what we need to talk about is prevention um what are we doing to our people uh, that is causing this mindset um mm-hmm. addressing patriarchy addressing 
uh, trauma, uh, addressing abuse, stopping the cycle of violence, stopping the cycle of abuse. These are preventive strategies that we have to be talking about. And I feel like preventive strategies are definitely going to be more effective in the long run than just doing band-aid work. And mm. I'm sure Rashi can add to that because she's been working in that field a lot more than I have been. Exactly, so these structures, yeah, so like Ala was saying, these structures, like there's patriarchy, there's caste, there's sex, all of these structures that exist, rather than sex, there's gender, you know, mm. uh, there, is, there are these structures that we have created that we kind of say, puts people in either in the group or out group, right? And mm. everyone wants to be in. And mm. that's the struggle that is created. And when you, capitalism is another one of them. And if the only way to reach that in-group is to commit a crime, because we haven't given the enough resources to the out-group to be able to be in the part of the in-group, then that's when the struggle starts. So if, for example, even if you look at, you know, a lot of people who will, uh, who commit white, what we call as white-collar crimes, where is the punishment for that? We do not equate it. A person who steals yeah. a loaf of bread because he cannot eat versus a person who who you know swindles i don't know how many crores of money mm. we look at them so much differently what makes like we uh, there's a lot of research going on in the entire way the bill clinton controversy was handled in the us and what made everyone look at an intern she was an intern at that time you know, this is it was a sexual harassment case. So we all know the scandal by the name of the woman mm-hmm. who was a 22 year old intern and not by the scandal of the president of US, you know. Mm-hmm. So what made him get away with it? And why did it ruin her life? Mm-hmm. So all of this is kind of it's all because of structures. And he also very proudly said I did it because I could get away with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're looking at these kinds of things. Tomorrow, there's so much of, up. you know, tomorrow is Ambedkar Jayanti and our cops are going to arrest one of the Dalit leaders. Because why? Why? Why tomorrow? Because they don't want the conversations like to be about Ambedkar. Okay, there is cool. a lot of... Rashi, I think we're moving yeah. a lot in other directions yes. of conversation. I think... Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. My name is not Deepak Chaurasia. This is not Ravish Kumar's show. <laughs> <laughs> I think... I wish. No, but 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 I agree to all of this. You know, like uh, yeah. uh, there's a lot of conversation that uh, is happening in the right direction, and we need to fuel it uh, in a more organized and um, reachable manner for the masses. Uh, so, uh, talking about you know getting professional help, you guys talked about finding a counselor. Uh, how can people find? you and uh, how can people find professional good counselors is there some hallmark is there some um, certification that they should look for is there some way that they can find counselors or they can seek help Mm. so unfortunately in india we do not have a licensing board Mm -hmm. which would say that you are a licensed therapist or not but what helps is asking questions so ask questions of what your counselor studied, where did they study, and what you think about that particular college. For example, uh, there are a lot of courses that will say, become a counselor by doing a one-day course. Does, is that enough for you? So you have to take a personal call. So all the counselors at All Story have a two-year master's course, uh, ma- master's degree 
as well as training in online therapy. Is that enough for you? Do you, would you prefer somebody with an MPhil or a PhD? You have to decide for yourselves and ask this question for from your counselor. Ask the question of what would you like? Like for, for when I was looking at a counselor for myself, it was very important that my counselor was a feminist for me. So I asked my counselor questions about what she thought about feminism, etc. And when I was satisfied, I was like, okay, I can start therapy with you. Don't be afraid. I think we have this thing, right? Uh, even if you're going to a doctor, we don't want to ask what his credentials are. Mm-hmm. But I think with therapy, it becomes very important to ask those questions. What are your approaches? Suppose you're a very religious person and mm-hmm. you want your therapist to be religious as well. You can mm-hmm. ask that question. Are you religious? Do you believe in God? Then your mm-hmm. therapist, and you will have a higher chances of being in sync. So these are, I think people should not be afraid to ask these questions. Wow. Ala, any opinions on this? Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that if once you are in therapy, one way to know if your, you know, if your therapy is going well uh, is to look at how therapy sessions make you feel. So it's mm-hmm. not necessary that you'll always feel good after a therapy session because it could be that you're talking about things that are difficult for you. You're talking about memories that are difficult for you, and a lot. Uh, a lot of things are coming up that you have never spoken to somebody about. So it's not necessary that at the end of every single session, you'll feel happy and great and, you know, just like jolly. But Hmm. you'll never feel put down by your therapist. You'll not feel like you're scared of your therapist or um, I'm intimidated by my therapist or my therapist does not respect me. Therapy is supposed to be a safe and empowering space. And if your therapist is not doing that for you, um, then those are some red flags for you. If if your therapist is judging you for some decision that you've made or judging you for who you are as a person um, or, uh, you know, uh, name calling you, shaming you for anything, then that's not an empowering and safe space for you. So these are some of the things that you should keep in mind in terms of uh, the ethics of, of therapy. I think one word that I think you used, I think I really liked it. I think you should feel heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You should feel, you heard. should feel heard and yeah, you should feel heard at the end of a therapy session. And that's, that's the basic that we would want your therapy. You should feel heard when you get out of the therapy session. That's the basic. That's very yeah. true. That's very true. Like don't go to a doctor who would play football with a broken leg. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> Please seriously. <laughs> Been there, done that. Don't do that. <laughs> so, uh, have you guys heard of this uh, book called "The Man Who Thought His Wife Was a Hat"? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. Okay. Have you, Ala? I I haven't uh, heard of it either. Oh wow! So it's a, it's a book. It's it's about um, it's about psychologists and psychotherapists. I'm, I'm not very good at English, but these people uh, mm. sharing their uh, experiences about their uh, customers and their clients and their patients and the weirdest mm-hmm. experiences and the funniest experiences. So it's like a very funny, not, not exactly meant to be funny, but a very mm-hmm. funny uh, diary of clinical psychologists where they talk about uh, their cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read it long while ago. And I think, I think I always wanted to ask this question to people like, what is the wackiest case that you guys have ever encountered that really made you laugh or, you know, just, just left you wandering? Hmm. So I am going to hold back on that because um, 
I, I completely understand that there is curiosity and this is, this is a question that I hear often um, from my friends and relatives and family who's, who's not from the field also. Okay, like, batao thoda, like, you know, tell us a little bit about what are some of the wackiest cases. Firstly, and, and I understand that that's coming from a place of not knowing what happens in the sessions and I completely respect that. But, but what happens when we call something as a wacky case is that you're completely depersonalizing uh, you know, a person and their story and, mm. and stories are not one dimensional and stories are complex and layered and um, what dehumanizing, is, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, dehumanizing, sorry, dehumanizing is what I meant to say. Um, mm. And, and uh, you know, just kind of making light of something. I'm sure that, you know, there are stories of healing and, and stories of, um, intense amounts of pain but also hope and resilience and all of that 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 mm-hmm. that comes up but because i am a therapist who is currently practicing mm-hmm. uh it, it's difficult for me to share something like that because i'm i'm my mm-hmm. first commitment is to my clients and i'm and i'm bound by uh, the ethics of confidentiality from sharing something like that but oh, i can tell you for sure that mm-hmm. uh, there have been incredible stories of uh, humor and hope and resilience along with pain and suffering and all of that but i understand Actually, the yeah I, I also wanted to kind of say in terms of irrespective of how people come to us and how people start their stories or start their narratives mm-hmm. whether it's a funny whether it's a painful whether whatever whatever brings them to us or whatever their story has been so far i think there is an a very important thread that runs through most stories uh, and that is of wanting their situation to change mm-hmm. and that's something that amazes me each time that is something that also is an ins- is, is 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 highly inspiring to me because there are obviously like ala said that there is a lot of funny things that happen in people's lives because nobody's life is very linear. We all have our ups and downs. We all have humor, etc. Uh, but I think what, what matters the most is that despite having really, really difficult situations, people still have reached out for help. Uh, so, and I think that when you talk about things like, so the story in the book or the, the title story of the book that you're talking about mm-hmm. talks about face blindness and the problem with the entire, which is true. There are a lot of people and I myself lived with uh, my grandfather who had dementia, who completely forgot my face and used mm-hmm. to call me my, my mother's name. And even after I was married, uh, used to tell me, let's sit and study for math exams. So you know, in that situation, it was extremely sad. And, and now that I think back on it, it's incredibly funny because my grandfather thought that I wanted to give a math exam at 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny, but all of our nightmares having to give a math exam mm-hmm. at 26. Not mine. <laughs> You're forgetting that I love math. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love math too. <laughs> yeah. We're on the see? same page, you know. Yeah, I love math. So, uh, so you know, it, but... The thing is that in that situation, right, it was an incredibly like, why is my grandfather doing this? Why would he want to do, like, why can't he recognize me? Why can't he understand that I'm his granddaughter and not Mm -hmm. his daughter? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and it would add to a lot of trauma as well because i had lost my mother also she was no more mm-hmm. and i was like why can't you get it you lost her like you know you lost your daughter and you can't even remember that much it can get frustrating it can get so what is like you know the perspective on which you see funny things mm-hmm. can change depending on how much distance you have from it mm-hmm. this person who can't, who who can't see his wife like if it, for the psychiatrist it might be this odd case that he has seen mm-hmm. but the frustration of his wife is could be so deep and so personal and so can you imagine loving somebody with all your heart and them not recognizing you mm-hmm. or worse still going with somebody else mistaking them for his wife all of these things happen and they can really really scar you they can be extremely traumatic and in these situations when it is an illness like with my grandfather or with this person what mm. happens is that you can't even blame the person because it's it's a illness it's not the person's fault so you you don't even have somebody to blame you don't have there's this abstract con, con, uh, concept that you have to blame you mm. you can blame your fate you can blame god if you believe in god or whatever mm. else but you can't blame the person because then it also is is accompanied with huge amounts of guilt when mm. i used to get mad at my grandfather i used to be very guilty i'm like what is wrong with you mm. why are you yelling at an 80 year old man who has no control over what he's doing mm-hmm. and so it's very difficult to say that you know what is funny like now i can laugh about it i can laugh about it and say oh the funny things that my grandfather used to do because i have time and distance from that situation and it's no longer affecting me so deeply it's not cutting into my resources today it's become a story mm-hmm. i might even be able to write about it and sell a book what do you think ala <laughs> why not <clears throat> i'd i I'd, i'd be first in line to buy that book i'll be the I'm second one <laughs> <laughs> all of you will get review copies Hmm, perfect you. perfect <laughs> you know i never expected this answer from you know like but then i understand the concept of uh, differential privacy is what we call in the data science world uh, mm-hmm. like you need to maintain the privacy for each of your customers and uh, you need to maintain exactly. the empathy you need to maintain the empathy for uh, every single element of that storyline so that's that's extremely essential absolutely So yeah. where it would differentiate right ankit i think that uh, so if you were to present say a use case scenario to somebody mm-hmm. in the field if you anonymized all the names etc of your clients mm-hmm. you could you could actually give this as an example but when it comes when it when confidentiality meets with empathy if suppose my client were to hear it and even if i if the names were changed even if there's some similarity i could break all the trust that ala has worked so hard to create with her clients and that's where empathy comes in that's where the human element of our work comes in we're not working with data we're not working with computers we're working with or working with cases or working with cases mm-hmm. we're working with people who have feelings we have working with people who have put in so much trust in our work who have trusted us to work with their traumas and as somebody who has been through trauma i can say that it's a huge huge thing to be able to give and hand over to somebody and trust them to work with it so it becomes very very important for us to treat our clients as the number one person in the world mm-hmm. true true that's amazing i know i i don't think there could be okay i think ala knows about it uh 
So I don't think there could be any better end to the 21 days of uh, quarantine and talking to the 21 most interesting people in these 21 days of quarantine. So as it happens, Rashi, this is my last episode of this podcast. Oh. Yeah. That's great. And that's that's yeah. a good note to end on. <laughs> I started off with someone uh, who was a member of Mensa, an extremely high IQ person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ended it with someone with an extremely high EQ. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, good job. I think this is, this is super fantastic and really. So, you know, we had like uh, Bollywood celebrities. And uh, trust me, I have no connections whatsoever. It was just, it kept mm-hmm. happening as a dominoes effect. One person came and then That's second great. one came and then the third one came and then we had top Bollywood celebrities. I almost interviewed a Hollywood celebrity who was in the X-Men series. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Great. An Emmy-winning <laughs> journalist, and then um, uh, uh, Rakhi Sawant was on the podcast. We we couldn't publish that episode because of some legal reasons. What? Yeah. Oh no! I would have loved <laughs> to. Ala, do you have a number? Can you please share it with Ala? <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that on record, but you know my answer. Yeah, you are not. Yeah, you can edit. I You're right. You can edit. I understand. It. But you, but you can send it to Ala afterwards. <laughs> All right, Ala. Just I I promise I won't misuse it. Sure, sure. You <laughs> cherish it and keep it on a piece of yes. paper. Yes, she'll just look at it every day. <laughs> yeah. So now what? She came here and then uh, we had a 3x best-selling author. We had a guy who survived cancer three times. Wow. Uh, wow. Some incredibly inspiring stories. That's some resilience, huh? Mm-hmm. We had one men's right activist. Now we have some feminist counselors talking to us. It's like, it's like, it's like... Um, a chappan bhog. I want to hear the men's rights. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's lawyer Amish Agarwal. Uh, he fought the Justine Oh God, versus, I know. Yeah, yeah, that guy. I know so, him. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was I'll, very I'll listen to it on a low anxiety day. <laughs> what a journey, huh? Yeah, it's actually a very informative episode. So about, uh, why, are you not, why are you not continuing now that the lockdown has continued? Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, the goal of this podcast was to just have fun actually and you know mm-hmm. i want to start off with something new so i'm probably going to start a music band or something and i have oh nice s- oh, wow so i'm planning to i win. know <laughs> interesting yeah where are you based i'm in bangalore right now that's uh, amazing you should mm-hmm. come down to office once this is all over you're in bangalore yeah yes yes uh, uh, yeah. Bangalore. Alan, I'm in but Ala and I operate out of both of us. Ala is currently home, but mm-hmm. otherwise she's based out of Bangalore. Both of us are. Yeah. I divide my time between Bangalore and Bombay. Cool. Just uh, come down. We can, you know, grab, <laughs> sip water together. <laughs> That's what I invite all my guests. So, you know, we'll go and sip water together. So, yeah. All right. Yes. Sure. So any closing notes, any, (laughs) any closing notes, any tips for our people, you know, one quick tip for people who are listening to this one last episode uh, to keep themselves safe, to keep themselves sound mentally, physically, and so on. Rashi, do you want to go first? (laughs) I said drink water. Drink water. (laughs) Sure. Sip water. Yeah. I would say that, um, you know, like I like I mentioned earlier, there is there is no template as to how to do this time right. So mm-hmm. um, there's no one right thing to do. Uh, the right thing to do for you is what works for you, and and keep doing that. Um, and 
you don't have to kind of push yourself to be the best versions of yourself right now mm-hmm. uh, because it is a difficult time emotionally uh, mentally physically for everybody uh, so it's okay if you just survive this time and and keep in touch with your friends keep in touch with whoever is supportive in your life uh, and it's okay to slow down and take care of yourself uh, not just okay but maybe even necessary to slow down and take care of yourself during this time mhm amazing i completely agree and one more thing that i kind of put this as a mantra to a lot of people is what you whatever you're saying to yourself would you say that to somebody you love yeah. if you wouldn't use that language with somebody you love don't use that language with yourself hmm amazing amazing that's such a wonderful yeah. note to end it to thank you so much guys you guys have been the most fantastic guests of hard on this podcast and there's so much to learn from you people so much empathy to practice and this was my new year resolution that in 2020 i'm going to let go of anger and violence uh, and practice empathy so i haven't hit anyone so far for the last four months <laughs> i haven't hit good on anyone for the last four months or maybe not not so good job <laughs> uh, maybe not yeah but yeah it's about Thanks practicing empathy thank you for having us yeah, yeah thank you very much for fun, coming yeah. over and yeah 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 Yeah. So, guys, just go and visit your website, Alternative Story. I'm going to visit the office as well, and uh, you know these guys are amazing. These people are super fantastic. And uh, if you are ever in need, if you ever want help professionally, uh, you know where you have to go. The links will be in the description of this episode. And uh, these people are amazing. You know, just follow them on social media. Should I should I link your social media or something on this episode? You can do yeah, that. Sure. We're on Instagram yeah. and Facebook. Perfect. I'll link their Instagram, Facebooks, and whatever you guys have on this episode, and just go and follow them. Just have fun. Stay safe. Take care, guys, and bye bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. This is obviously the last episode, one of the parts of the last episode. With this episode, we also have Alexander Porter, one of those people that I really, really love, chatting with a cancer survivor, which you can find on your podcast player app, whichever you're using right now. and uh, please check out that episode as well which happens to be the last episode of this podcast along with this episode and it was a lot of fun talking with ala and rashi these people are amazing go follow their social media which will be linked in the description of this episode go check them out you know these people are so 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 amazing you know it's really inspiring to see their empathy and the kind of stuff they are doing for all of us once again goodbye take care good day whatever you guys are up to you know good night good day you know whatever you guys are up to take care of yourselves there will be no further episodes or maybe there will be one more episode tomorrow but uh, you know what we'll check it out tomorrow let's see this is a surprise for all of you all right bye bye